Hey, everybody, it's Richard Harrison, Scott Lease with the Surf and Sales Podcast. We are super excited to be speaking today with Julie Mann from Optimizely. Julie is the Senior Global Director of Sales, what is it, Sales Development, Senior Director. Big title. Yeah, big title, <laughs> Senior Director of Global Sales Development, which means um, she's got the whole world under her thumb, and we're really excited to have her here. Uh, Julie, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. I am very excited and honored to be here. Sure, and I, I think it's fun for people to know. Uh, one, we'll, we'll ask a little bit more about Optimizely, just so people have some context of, of that and the size of your team. But I think you know, I think it's fair to say that you're you're here because you came to an event Scott and I did uh, in Austin. Uh, you're an Austin-based uh, individual, and just sort of through coming to that event and getting to know us and talking, we you know we all sort of thought. Oh, this would be fun to have Julie on the podcast. So, um, this is this is why you go and do these networking things, right? Like, this is why you go out to these things and learn and educate and do those things. So, Julie, we're one, we're super appreciative. I think you came with like three other people, so thank you for that. Um, yeah. We won't talk about too much how how you won't be sending anybody to surf and sales this year uh, in February, but that's okay. That's all right. <laughs> we can talk about it. I am open to discuss, but um, no, I really enjoyed meeting you guys at the event and I did use it as an opportunity. We were having a sales leadership offsite. And so I used that as a personal development and uh, learning opportunity for my managers and everybody got a ton of value out of it. So Great. Uh, I'm excited you. to continue the conversation. Yeah. So just for some context, explain to people what Optimizely does in, in case they don't understand, like what pains do you guys solve? Yeah, so we help product uh, and development teams move fast and build products with confidence um, through experimentation. And it's, it's a really cool company to be a part of and to watch so many different brands uh, run these little experiments. Maybe it's about a color of a, a UI or something more about how the, the product actually functions. And these little experiments that they're running are um, sometimes creating, you know. So for for further con for further yeah. context, you're you're selling to like VPs of technology and things like that. Like, who's your buyer? Yep, our buyer are VPs and leaders of engineering teams and product development teams. And and what and what's like the sales cycle and the price point, things like that. Yeah, so right now our sales cycle is a little lengthy. We're about 200 days, uh, and the price point is, you know, around uh, 160K. A year. A year. Got it. Yeah. If it was a month, we'd all be excited, right? Like we'd be like, woo, woo. So we're rolling in it. Didn't Optimizely really start those in A B testing for websites? We did. So, you know, have that familiarity in their head. Yeah, totally. So we started um, as an A-B testing uh, platform for marketing teams and, you know, painted door tests and um, really having a layman like myself be able to go in and change the colors of different buttons or the text or move um, some configurations around on a site to see if it uh, would increase, you know, the it, it, experience or the conversion rates uh, if you're trying to get somebody to, to buy something. And that's where we started and we are kind of the defined leader in that space. And so uh, we're kind of on that verge of the transition of, okay, great, we do that, we're gonna keep supporting that and, and that is our bread and butter. But um, there's a lot of cool things you can do with experimentation from a product and engineering standpoint as well where people are just kind of grazing the surface. 
Yeah. So I, I have a I have a question for you that it's got to be super relevant to everybody out there. So you went to UT like you've been in Austin for you know ever. Let's just say, and you spent time at HomeAway as well as SpreadFast, two like well known and respected companies in Austin, and then you go work for Optimizely, who's based out of San Francisco, right? So yep. you're a satellite office. What have been some of the differences and challenges that you've experienced in, in working at a satellite office that are, you know, unique and different as opposed to, you know, working at, at HQ? Yeah, that's a great question. And there certainly are challenges. I mean, there's the ones that you would think of like, oh, the time zone and, you know, being able to, to work on a, a time frame that you're not used to. But more than that, it's always having to make yourself relevant, always having to be very proactive and looking out for your team. So, um, you know, kind of out of sight, out of mind. I think people do a good job at our company really thinking about people in remote offices. But if you're not right there in the, the San Fran office, getting to see the CMO or the CEO walk by um, and, and, you know, picking up on context and joining conversations, you're missing a lot. So you have to be very, very proactive in making sure that you and your team are relevant. And so there may be ways that you showcase some of the great- Like what? Give, give, yeah, what what's an example? Give me a couple of examples of how you stay relevant uh, and top of mind without being annoying. Yeah, so I'll give you an example. We have um, a call every week um, that goes through some of the big sales wins in the company. And so a lot of times, I, I would assume those conversations start to happen as you know people are telling the, the sales story success in the office. Um, and it's like, oh, that's a great one. Let's feature it, you know, in, in this big meeting. And so we're not there as often, right? And um, the SDRs that I manage have a big part in that. So it's proactively tapping on the shoulder of the, the CRO and saying, hey, I'd love to carve out 15 minutes to share some of the wins from the SDR team uh, from Austin specifically. And, and so we've been, you know, everyone's very uh, well received in terms of, you know, making sure that we are able to carve out that time. Same with marketing meetings that we have. It's like, we'd love to jump in and actually discuss this function specifically, how the SDR team has really grown 42% year over year in terms of our pipeline contribution and, and what the process was. Um, and then it's, it's getting involved cross-functionally into other initiatives as well um, to make sure that myself and, and my managers have um, kind of a voice in, in some of the bigger conversations that are forming. How do you, uh, what about Slack? Do you, can you integrate that in a way that, you know, people can be relevant in other offices? And how do you guys do that, particularly from that sort of BDR function, which we know is all too important. And, and I know optimizely well that I don't think they, you know, I don't think they poo poo that role, but I think a lot of companies might. Um, how do you guys stay relevant within Slack? Because I think that's a great way to do it, but that's only if the other person stops and reads it. So totally. what kind of things are you guys slacking to people in the company? So we have um, a global SDR our chat because we have SDRs that are in Amsterdam, some in San Fran, some in Austin. And so um, we try to one as a team, make sure we're all on the same page. And we have really cool integrations that go on in those chats within um, troops and, and, and Salesforce as well, where when somebody has a win, it's shared um, globally to the full SDR team and to the full sales team. Uh, on top of that, we have a bunch of um, reports and kind of like exciting who's the, the leader of the dashboard at this time, who's winning in this specific spiff. Um, that also gets shared out on that platform. And so everyone's kind of looking to see uh, 
who's, who's winning and, who, and who's relevant. Who's winning the serpent sales spiff? Oh, that's right. Yeah, there's no. <laughs> yeah. That's it. That one, you know, we're shooting for next year for that one, so it's yeah, a yeah. longer game. What what is your what is your best tip for <clears throat> for training all of these distributed team members of yours? Yes, I mean, you're running question. you're running a global team, right? Um, I've had teams in four different time zones and four different offices, but all domestically. So I've actually never had an inter international team. So educate me. How are you going to train a global team so they're all on the same page? Nobody feels, you know, left out. Everybody feels up to speed. What, what is some of your tips for that? So that is so important. And this is one of those things where, you know, even in some organizations where they have like, you know, a, a sales ops function or a sales enablement function, um, I am very hands-on and I, I probably wouldn't let anybody else run this just because I think you get really good context. But um, I put together a boot camp that we run. Uh, it's about a month, you know, really three intensive weeks. It has classroom, it has workshops, it has um, actual presentations as well as, as trainings. And every single member, whether you're from Amsterdam or San Fran or Austin, will come to headquarters and go. So everybody converges on San Francisco. Correct. And, and go through the training. We've run it out of Austin before too. Um, it doesn't really matter where they go as long as we all go to the same place and we run a full training and it's kind of, that's the experience that the, the reps get. It's like, how often do you, how often are you able to get that done? I mean, I, I do it every single time. It's, that is a, that is something that you just can't compromise on. For me, it's a must have. And if that doesn't start off on the right foot, then the team's not going to be successful. So, so we I would say it happens every two to three months. It just depends on, you know, our, our hiring, hiring cycles. Got it. Did, yeah. talk to, I love how you said you've got classroom workshops and then trainings, right? Just again, for people who are like, oh, that sounds like a smart idea. Cause you could even do that in one office, right? Like you could have three types of training in one office. What goes in your classroom training? What goes in your workshop training? What goes in, in your um, training training as you described it? So yeah. So I would say we have like four main buckets that we focus on and then we do uh, actual training, mostly PowerPoint and, you know, there are conversational components, um, but then that's where the work begins and it's like, okay, now we're going to take this and go workshop this concept. So the four main buckets are selling skills. So making sure that somebody understands, you know, sales 101. These are a lot of these folks, it's their first job out of college, maybe second. Um, so we sort of align on on what those selling competencies are and how we're going to to teach those reps those competencies. Um, there'll be trainings and then we'll do practices where it's, you know, practicing your elevator pitch and your cold calls and, and so forth. And then the, the other group that we really focus on is product knowledge. So making sure that they understand the industry, our competitors, the product, um, the partners in the space. Um, and that one is obviously much meatier. There's a lot that goes on. I don't expect somebody to leave a three-week session knowing everything there is to know. And they don't, they don't need to know everything there is to know to be how, successful. How do you run a three-week session? Like, granted, you do it once a quarter or once every couple of months, but like you bring in the team from Amsterdam or Austin, are they really off the phone for those three weeks? Or is it kind of like, no, we know we need to do some business too. So it's kind of like every other day, but then so that they can actually still focus on their tasks or is it literally like 
two to three weeks straight up off the phone. So it's just for new hires. We have continuing education training as well, but it's just for new hires and they are completely off the phone. We build it into their, their ramp um, with the company and really believe that, you know, it is a critical piece of them being successful. What, what about for, for non new hires? How are, how are you delivering training to non new hires? Is this like, you know, a delivered over zoom and slack and, and things like that? We do trainings like that, or we'll have um, an, like somebody come to each office and sit down and deliver the same training. Those are usually more effective. But I mean, how I think about training and how we actually execute on it is um, there is this personal development and coaching plan that myself and my managers lead. Um, and so I teach the managers that I you know manage um, these concepts, whether it be, hey, we're going to focus today on... Um, understanding what a best-in-class version of yourself looks like and we will spend maybe the next two or three sessions what you know what does good look like when you paint that picture in your head of you being this leader what does it look like and then we start to analyze okay where are, where are those missing pieces and we start to build on those so I'll teach the managers that and they're in, in turn teaching the reps that so there's this personal development going on that does touch the product and selling skills and so forth and then on top of that we'll have a monthly sales or process training. And I think the most effective, we've done it all types of ways. The most effective way is to have somebody come to that office, train the Austin office, train the Amsterdam office, um, and, and the San Fran office separately. And then for us to in our team meetings and other um, kind of individual standups, just workshop it, throw the ball around and say, hey, you know, you walk me through this pitch or let's practice this role play. Are you, are you finding your leadership style evolving? Totally. Yeah. What, what's, what's something that tell everybody a story. Maybe we can get you to open up a little bit. Like give me yeah. a horror story. What is something that you would never do now that you did, you know, totally. a couple <laughs> years ago or something? Just one. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, I would say my kind of calling card is uh, creating structure and process in a team that just really doesn't have a lot of that built out. And so um, that's always been my strength. And, and what I'm good at is like, how can I create repeatable, scalable results in a team that's just kind of doing okay, and everyone's doing their own thing. And that's what I get sort of hired to do. And so um, I remember in the beginning, it was great. This is all about metrics. This is just a numbers game. And what I would never do now that I did in the beginning was like, okay, this is purely a numbers game. We need this many calls. We need this many emails. We need this attention to metrics to get this outcome. And that's what management looks like, you know, throughout my time, um, you know, of just, I remember I started at Spreadfast and it was my first SDR leadership role because I was an inside sales leader before. And I remember my first thing was like, okay, it's all about quantity. Like we need to hit this many emails and throw out this many messages. And uh, the team looked at me like I was crazy. And I, I was. <laughs> and, and they started to really pull the lever on quantity, but the quality just wasn't there. And the messages really didn't make a ton of sense. They weren't providing value. Um, and, and it, we, we saw an initial spike. It was like, wow, this is good. We're getting a lot of responses and the numbers upticked for, you know, two or three months. And then from that point on it was done. So then it became, okay, how do we incorporate quality? 
and how do we make sure it's this balance, this fine balance of quantity and quality and, and personalization at scale? So what did you, so where, what did you find were the activities or the things that you, what levers could you pull to focus more on that quality, more on, um, I sort of call it, you know, there's this word metrics and there's this word KPIs. And in between those two words, that's where management occurs, yeah. right? It's the space, it's that one space between those two words. If you typed them out, that's where management is. What are the, some of the things that you learn to do with your team to, whether it's motivation, liberation for work from home, yeah. any of that stuff? What are, what are the things you did or have learned? For me, the big sort of aha was that every single person is inherently different and every single person has their own strengths and their own weaknesses and I've got to play to each individual strengths. So as much as me, a process, let me scale out this process and do these things to be repeatable wants to uh, fit everybody into that mold. That's just not going to realistically work. So for me, it was, wow, this person is amazing on the phone. Like they could talk the socks off of anybody. So we're going to focus and double down on their calling metrics and really working on the messaging and how can they just make these smaller tweaks to get one step farther in the process. And then, you know, who isn't as comfortable on the phone? Should I try to spend hours and hours making them super comfortable or should I put a little bit of time making them more comfortable and a ton more time on, you know, their email content that's really detailed and thoughtful and, and makes people feel like they're providing value and being a thought leader. Like, okay, that's that bucket of person that I really need to focus on. So finding strengths, I think, and then also just really focusing on, on the human aspect. Like I think now when you look, like it's really been a long journey in, in my leadership style. And I think now it's focusing on humans as humans and how can I build the skill set with these folks hand in hand that will not make them just successful today, but in 10 years from now, they'll say, wow, I learned those three frameworks from Julie and, and the leadership team there that I can apply whether I'm, you know, an SDR, an AE, or not even in sales at all, and um, really focus on, on that. What do, you, what do you do to focus on making yourself better? Right. Like if you're going to make your team better, you've also got to figure out, well, how do I get this across to them? So maybe I need to be better at this stuff. So what do you do to self-educate or, or, you know, do you have a mentor? Like what are the things you do? Yeah. So I've had some really amazing, I've been really fortunate to have some really amazing leaders that helped me and have guided me and still guide me. Um, Jeff Wells is, is probably the one that I'm the closest to now that is always, um, you know, willing to, to let me, vent and, and work through some problems and get better. So I, I lean on people like that. And then I try to take the concepts that he's taught me and, you know, extend on them and, and make them more true to even myself. And so it's funny when we, we rolled out this full on professional development program um, here at Optimizing, when I say me, we, I mean like me and the leaders uh, underneath me, we're like, this is important. We need to double down and we need to take a ton more time out of the day to focus on, on these professional skills. And so I was like, cool. We started and I was like, how can we build out a program for the reps? And we had a ton of ideas and a ton of you know things that we wanted to implement, but like ultimately we weren't really invested and bought in because we hadn't done it ourselves. So then it just stopped and it was like, how can me and my leadership team start to get really good at our craft? And how can then we teach other people to do so what that? Did you do to get, what did you do to get better yourself or with your team? Like what kind of programs yeah. did you run through? Exercises, books, podcasts, like what is it? Yeah. 
I mean, for us, it really started at looking at being really honest with ourselves, looking at our strengths and weaknesses in a way that we hadn't before. So uh, this full process that, you know, my mentor kind of had run me through before this PTI process where you kind of evaluate uh, what priorities you have to improve on and um, what, what are the one to three problems that if you solved today, you'd be really close to that best in class version of yourself. And so started by putting in the work and going, felt like trudging through mud, but going through that exercise and then finding, hey, these are the things I have to focus on to get to be a great leader. Is and then the exercises associated, obviously, you know, that's, hey, let's go, let's listen to podcasts and let's listen to um, thought leaders in the space who have a point of view about that and, and see if that's helpful. Is there a program that you guys, you know, there are different programs. There's, you know, there's, you can go hire management consultants, which is great if they're really good. Was there an outside program or is this something that through your mentor, you're like, you know what, I'm going to put this together myself. And you know, this definition of PTI, is that a actual process or is that something y'all came up with? Yeah. So uh, it's through my mentor. He uh, has a company called High Achiever Software Leaders and they do help sales leaders just like myself um, build out these types of programs and workshops. And so I guess I kind of got the uh, the free version of it, just being close with him. And so tried to implement that um, on my own. And, and it's crazy. The reps here are so much more invested because they realize that they're working towards something so much bigger. What about you? What do you do to, to better yourself? I love to listen to podcasts every single morning. Uh, I, I have like a 30 minute commute and every way, every time on my, my way home, I'm always listening to podcasts, um, trying to just think about personally and professionally what I want to, to be and aspire to and what, what qualities I see in other people that I want to um, try to emulate or get better at. And so podcasts, LinkedIn, um, really even internal people that are just really great at their craft, whether it's a salesperson or somebody in engineering, you can gain something from looking at somebody who's just really good at their craft and, and values uh, the work that goes into that. What do you, How do you feel like this is a question. This is a selfish question. If the podcast is more than 30 minutes, let's say it's 45 and your commute's only 30 minutes, will you come back and finish it on the way home? Or do you? Totally. Just, okay. I can't leave something unfinished. That's just okay. a personal thing. Cool. Let's, I, feel let's, so, I feel so validated right now. I know. <laughs> I, uh, I, was that I, an I, internal debate? Yeah, it's an internal debate. I, I, have a, I have a question for you. You've worked your way, you know, throughout your career, almost all the way to the top, right? The top being like, you're building something, you own everything, right? You are the number one honcho, head of sales, VP, whatever you want to call it. And you've worked for a few of them now, right? Without naming names, what, what do you think separates a decent VP of sales from a fantastic VP of sales? And how are you trying to become just just that how are yeah. you trying to get to that next that next place that's a really good question and I I feel like I formulated a point of view on it over the years like to me it's about getting context about your business and I know that seems like probably just oh yeah everybody I'm sure is going to put in the work to go get context and understand the ins and outs of every little thing that the people underneath them are doing um and and there are, I've seen leaders that walk in and own the room and, you know, feel like, hey, I've got a playbook that's sort of worked. I'm, I'm going to use that, but I'm not going to then take the time 
to get context into the business to understand if this resonates or if I need to turn or, or switch directions. Um, and then I've seen people who, you know, kind of validate that playbook with the reps, with listening to calls, with really, and again, like I don't expect every VP to be on every single call that the company has, but if you don't have context, you can't make good decisions. So, um, you know, again, my mentor always told me like being a, a leader is, is making good decisions and teaching other people to make good decisions. And I think that context piece is sometimes missed. Where's the, where's the best place for you to go to get, to get that coaching and that development <clears throat> to get you to the next level? If, I mean, if you have it in your current boss, then, you know, you're in a good spot because they're hopefully mentoring you and they should be trying to coach you to a place where, you know, if they move on, you can immediately take over and there's no disruption. But what if you, what if you don't have that? Where does, for you, where do you think people go? I mean, I feel like there's a gap. There's like a, a, a massive missing piece here where nobody talks about, you know, the roadmap to be a VP of sales, what it's actually like. People who have done the role oftentimes are reluctant to share their VP of sales kind of playbook, right? Um, and so I'm just curious, like, where does Julie go to kind of seek that information that she may, she, you may not even know you don't know it yet. Totally. Right? Totally. I, I think about that often. And, you know, I think you're right. There is a gap. Right now, I think about, like, all I can do is do the best job I can possibly do at the job I have today and start doing the job of tomorrow that I don't have. And so a lot of people, I'm sure not just myself are taking this on, on their own saying, let me align myself with outside people that I've seen do it. And that are really good at their craft, get great pointers from them. But at the end of the day, like it's the thousand percent on my shoulder, on my shoulders. And it's, it's me trying to evaluate like, okay, what might that next role look like? And how can I start just getting my foot into door in the door to some of the things that I'm not doing yet? Uh, that's how I think about it. But yeah, I mean, if there was a program or a playbook or, you know, that guidance that was sort of easily available, like I think, you know, everybody would be doing it and, and raising their hand, but I think it's all about your own personal grit and determination to not just settle and do, Hey, I could do this job and kind of coast by, but how can I start to learn to prepare myself for the next position? And the only way I've learned how to do that is talk to the greats, talk to the people who are doing it and throw yourself into crazy, uncomfortable situations. Um, that's, I thrive in chaos. And when I get calm and settled in a position, like I'm going to be looking for the next one just because that's how I know I'm learning. So. I know a guy like that. Lives <laughs> in chaos. He's, he, he, there's no way he's talking about me. Not, not at all. Never. I would never talk about you like that, Scott. Hey, let's let's pull back out of this. I, I'd love. To, how did? Let, let's go to your origin story, right? Gosh. What what got you into sales? Where did? You, what was your first sales job like? What was your first bad sales job? You know. Yeah. This is a really probably too long of a story, but I'm going to tell you um, from the beginning, I guess. So uh, I knew one thing growing up and it was that I was not going to be in sales and that I did not want to be in sales and that I wouldn't touch it with a 10 foot pole. <laughs> uh, That's awesome. That is that the only answer. thing I knew in terms of what I wanted to do with my life. And oh, <laughs> I think it is because my mom was just this badass, like 
account executive um, who sold radio ads on, for a radio station. That's what my and, mom did. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that's where you see like the hard work uh, and you know that sweat and blood, sweat, and tears of of sales. I think and and my aunt was uh, in the same. Uh, industry and she managed a, a team so she was this badass powerful sales leader woman you know one of you know very few at the time and I loved that but I grew up sort of in the office and helping on things and I just knew like I am not doing that like I want my own identity and it's not gonna be my mom's or my aunt's or, or anyone else and so I, you know, my whole life I actually grew up like performing and, and singing and, and being in productions. And so that's what I was set on to do. And I went to UT and studied vocal performance. And Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah, different. Like different remind, this reminds me of Claire. Uh, oh, really? Richards. Claire was like an opera major at UT. So I, I would probably know Claire. I did a lot of opera and classical. Um, and so that's what I thought my life was going to be. And I, I moved to New York as, as one does who wants to pursue that. Um, and, you know, it was really a tough moment for me because I started auditioning and I started to realize like my day is going to be spending eight hours a day waiting in a room and auditioning. And, you know, I got some really cool gigs, which, you know, is great. But like, that's, you know, those only lasted at night for several hours and every single day going into a room and auditioning and waiting around like the reality. Yeah. <laughs> the reality of what I was doing did not, um, did not match up to the perception of what I thought it would be. And I learned very quickly, like, this is a hobby. This is something I love doing, but this is not what I want to do every single day. And so that left me kind of like back to, to square one, what should I be doing? And I remember my money was starting to run out in New York. And um, I had some friends that worked at this market research company. So I got this job at a market research company, actually the coolest job that a kid my age could have gotten. Um, but I was standing outside of movie theaters in Manhattan, trying to get people to attend movie screenings like within a week that um, they had no idea what the movie was about, who was in it, the title of them. Like these were movies that no one had ever heard of. And the goal was that they'd participate in these focus groups and, you know, give feedback and, and you know, a movie would, would develop based on the feedback. And then the other part of it was they would fly me out to different uh, movie theaters, which is so cool being young. And I would stand at opening night of the movie. And when some, when people started to leave the theater, I'd have to get, all of these people to fill out a exit poll um, survey. And so I have to get 75% of the people coming out of the theater to fill out a survey saying if the movie was good or bad so that I could take my little portable scanner and scan in all of the results to decide if the, if Culver city was going to invest in the movie or if it was a bust. Wow. So that's a sales job. For sure. <laughs> Which I didn't know at the time, but right. that's, that's a cold call sales job. Both of those. Totally. And then I started to get really good at it. And like, if you were um, in first through third place of getting, you know, certain people from certain demographics into the screenings or, and, you know, getting the most participation on the exit polls, like you could get some, you know, pretty big money for me at that time. And so I just started strategizing. What's my value prop? Which movie theater should I stand up based on the demographics? Um, where's the nearest film school? How can I position that and stand there as well? 
So it, it just became this, this sale. Like I just sort of got the drive. I still don't think at the time I understood that it was sales. Um, but I was, I was optimizing going through the motions anyway. And then I ended up, um, moving back to Austin. My dad got real sick and I came home to be with my family and, um, some of my friends worked at home away and I just said, you know, give me, give me a chance. Let's, I just want to try it out and see, you know, I don't really have another job and I don't really have any money. So we'll just try it. And then, yeah, from that moment on, as soon as I saw the dashboard and like this, you know, number one person in sales getting recognition, I was like, that is going to be me. And, Your bright lights, big city moment, right? Oh, it was, it was, was good. And name and lights. Right? Total. That's that's all I wanted yeah. the attention. Apparently, she became her mom all over again. Oh, don't say yeah. that, but yeah, I did. And we all was, have that challenge. So yeah. So it was it was crazy though because I remember at Homeway at the time, the CRO and VP of Sales would take every month the top performers in the inside sales team, AE, like mid market AE uh, enterprise. They would take them out to this lunch. And so I was like, I am going to go to those lunches. And I literally went to every single lunch until it was like a joke of like, and it's Julie again. And I just, that was my thing. It's like, how do I create a system where I know exactly the metrics that I have, what my opens, conversions, all of these things are, and how do I make it work for me so that I can just kind of sit back and um, perform the same thing over and over again to be the best. And so that's what I did. And then I got promoted to the AE team and kind of did the same thing there. And, and then they asked me to manage the team um, that I was, that I had started on and uh, I was super excited. And, you know, that's at the time where I was like, okay, I'm just going to teach everybody how to be like me. And, you know, didn't really know what I was doing, I guess. At the would, moment. You ever, would you ever go back now to being an individual contributor or are you uh, in leadership for life? I feel like I'm in leadership for life. Like I get personal gratification um, seeing a, a team that wasn't getting a ton of recognition, like thrive. And to me, that's sort of what it's about. Now that's me on the dashboard is like my team's on the dashboard. And uh, so, you know, never say never, but I think, you know, I'm in leadership for life. How do you, because you're in a hiring role, right? And, and you might even be, one step removed, right? In terms of hiring at the ground level, you know, as you think, and so I'm going to ask the question sort of in two ways, as you look to evaluate talent, right? How do you look to evaluate talent for that early stage, early career SDR, uh, BDR, even initial salesperson? How do you look for talent um, to promote from within into management or even externally for management? There's like three questions in there, but yeah. Um, I, I would love to hear how, you know, and sort of frame it if you could in sort of the advice that you would give someone else who's looking to hire. Totally. So I had um, my manager at the time at HomeAway. She was amazing, Tracy Shaw. And she always told me, like, you've got to hire people with this exact profile. And this is kind of her playbook. It has to be, you have to have somebody who's coachable, who's humble, who's curious, uh, and who's driven. And so, you know, I took that framework and kind of massaged it a little bit. And, and I still use that to this day for an outsider. I don't care if you, I mean, you don't need an MBA. You don't, you know, necessarily even need a degree if you're the right person. I mean, the degree, the degree just shows like you can commit to get through something for four years that you say you're going to get through. But for me, it's, are you coachable? Are you curious? Like, it's so important that you're curious and asking questions and not just, you know, Hey, I'll take whatever answer you give me. And that's, you know, checks the box. Are you humble? Like no one wants a 
jerk, like, you know, sitting at the top of the dashboard, like, you know, making people feel bad about themselves. You want somebody who's humble and who's, you know, kind of a team player that way. And someone who's uh, resilient and driven and driven is more that like sales DNA that, you know, are you passionate and hungry? And, you know, that's kind of what I look for there. So from an external standpoint, I always ask myself those questions and all of the questions I'm asking them are, tell me about a time when, you know, just to understand, you know, you can say one thing, but let's, let's really see uh, what you've done. And I think my number one question for hiring somebody that I make sure I always ask, and I am in the room still to this day when we're hiring new people, I will let my managers who are going to directly manage them always, you know, push the last call. Most of the time, sometimes we'll have real you know, d debates, but um, you know, the question I always ask is like, tell me about the toughest challenge that you've ever been through personally or professionally. And that's where for me, I get the answer. It's, what does somebody think is a challenge? Um, how do they handle it? Was it someone else's fault every time that happened? Um, you know, what tools did they have to get through that challenge? That's what I actually care about. And I've heard anything from like the day I spilled coffee all over me to, you know, dealing with incredibly serious things and, you know, their family members' lives that, you know, impacted them and will impact them today. So that's what I think about externally. I think, once somebody's in the door, you got to be a top. Quick question, performer. Julie. Hold on. Yeah. Quick question: How often do you let your manager win the debate, just to prove to them that 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 so that you can give them a learning moment? Not that you try and catch them in a gotcha, but yeah. like to a certain extent, we do have to let people fail a little bit. And um, has that ever happened? Or or totally. you? Yeah, I have let them win um, if if they feel passionate about the person that they're going to manage and, you know, they're willing to have that conversation and push back. It's like, cool, you know, let's, maybe I'm missing something. My profile isn't always perfect and I make mistakes. I've made bad hires before people that I'm like, I swear this person is going to lead, you know, the, the company and, you know, maybe doesn't pan out. It doesn't happen as often, but, um, you know, I, I definitely let them go through that and learn. And I'm not sitting there saying, I told you so, cause there's value in them learning that and, um, allowing them to sort of course correct the next time they have that situation. Go, so go yeah, ahead. I got so now about promoting from within or. Yeah. Scott, did you want to add or. I got, I got, I got three tough questions for you to yes or no answers. You ready? Okay. Should marketing own a revenue number? Yes or no? Yes. Do you know as much about equity and stock options as you should? No. Should the sales team be comped on renewals? Yes or no? No. No, elaborate on that one. I'll pick on that one. I need you to elaborate on that one. I think um, the, so this is like the age old question of like, okay, should it be like an account management model and you're really um, nurturing, you know, and getting really tight with these people and, you know, that's going to solidify a renewal or growth within that account, which, which I totally, you know, agree on. But I do think, um, a CSM function or like even a renewal specialist function is important because here's what I've seen happen too many times, just, just as you have is, you know, the renewal is the main thing that the, the account manager is, is focused on and, you know, it becomes, Hey, let me just get the lowest. Let, let me, but let me, let me, let me make a counter argument though, just to make sure we're clear about the, the question. I'm not suggesting that the account executive run that process. Uh, I'm only saying, should the account executive be comped 
on the renewal? I think it's hard to incentivize. So I still stand by and say no. I think it's hard to incentivize somebody um, on... I, they do have control over it. So I don't want to say on something they can't control because there is, there is an aspect of control, but on this sort of yes or no checkbox, I think it's important to have somebody focused on the support and health of an account and understanding if it's going to be renewed and have an account executive focused on, on growing. I don't, I don't disagree, disagree with any of that in terms of focus, but hear, hear me out to me. The sale, it's time for sales to evolve to the point where even if the account executive is not touching the customer after the initial point of sale, they should be incentivized for that person to renew. And, here, and, here, and here's why I think. Because you're trying to align everybody on the same goal. You're trying to get the right customers in the door. You're trying to make sure that the salespeople are setting proper expectations, right? and helping other parts, other departments, you know, keep these people with you long-term, upsell, buy-in new products and things like that. And it just no longer makes sense for me. It used to, I used to not think that sales reps should be comped on it at all. I wanted to keep them hungry all the time and all this. Yeah. But I've come around completely over the last few years and now I just think, no, Salespeople should be comped on the renewal. I, I want my salespeople selling to the right customers the right way and making customer success's job even easier. What the dollar amount is in terms of it is, is up for debate, right? It's got to be enough that uh, it's motivating for, my, for salespeople to sell the right way with integrity and tee these people up for success, but it can't be so much that it then dominates their thought process and they stop going after new customers and they start trying to pay too much attention to the renewals. Fair. So. I could see that point. I think it all comes down to the incentive structure. Like what I would want to avoid is just making it something that it's like the path to least resistance is just chasing these renewals and allowing somebody to coast. Like I've seen that before and you know, that's, that would be problematic. So as long as you can keep people hungry and focusing on growing, but also incentivize them on, you know, some kind of a renewal effort. I think that that makes sense. Alignment is what's breaking up all of our functions right now. And like the, the big evil in the room, in my opinion, and that's from SDRs to CSMs to AEs to renewals. I mean, so anything that, that enhances that, I think, I think is, is something I'd support. I want to go back to one thing. And then I know we got one new topic we want to talk to you about, and then we'll have to wrap it up, but yeah. Going back to that evaluating talent, sort of promoting from within, right? You're in a big enough organization where um, there's value to that. There's obviously value to bring in someone from the outside because it does refresh the perspective. It, it kind of makes sure people aren't getting stuck in the box kind of thing. But as you're evaluating management talent from sales to management, um, what are the things that you're looking for? Uh, j just to give some folks some advice there. Yeah. I'm looking for one that people truly are taking the time to understand the business. I don't want somebody who's just going to be a robot and like carry out functions that they think that I want them to carry out. Um, I'm looking for somebody who's a critical thinker, who's going to push back and say, you know, I know we've done it like this always, but what if we tried this? So somebody who is um, brave, I guess, enough, um, and who under, who's trying to get context on the floor of what's going on and really strategically problem solve outside of that. Um, I, I think that's the main 
quality. I think other than that, it's, it's still the same, the same profile as, as somebody brand new. You gotta be curious. You gotta be coachable and wanting to learn more and you gotta be hungry and driven and, and humble, you know, no one wants to work with a jerk. Oh, Scott's, Scott's hired his fair share of jerks. Uh, present, present company excluded, of course. <laughs> right. Right. Sure. I've been, I've been called a jerk probably I'm sure as well. Yeah, well, so. here's the difference. Like you are a humble person and you can see that. Ah, who, me or him? Both of you guys, both of you guys, but it's Shut up different. and take the feedback, Richard. What's that? Shut up and take the feedback. Yeah. No, but it's true. It's different to be somebody who's like, I'm going to push against, you know, the status quo and here's why. And I feel really passionate about it. And I might get heated because of that. Like that's passion to me. That's not being, you know, humble or not. Got it. Got it. Um, I know we, we want to move into something a little bit more serious that, that we assume you may have experienced and I'm not sure where the conversation will go, but we're going to talk a little bit about gender disparity in sales, right? We already know that uh, from a male female perspective, there's a gender disparity. Uh, we certainly know, we've talked to Kevin Dorsey about this um, just along racial lines. There's a disparity um, from your perspective. What do you think that is? What's causing these disparities? And, and you know, speak, speak to what you know or what you've experienced or felt uh, as we talk about this. Yeah, I think an easy trap to fall into is to say, I know uh, I'm comfortable with a person that looks like me and that acts like me. And so whether, you know, I, I think it's, you know, implicit bias, but when you're hiring people, you're sitting there and in some regard, you're saying, you know, okay, I get, I get what this person is saying. Is that how I think? Are they like me? And it's just, it's natural for you to sort of compare them to how similar or dissimilar they are. And, and most of the time we lean towards similar. I think, um, unfortunately, like you see that throughout tech and through sales specifically, um, you know, with different ethnicities as well as, as, uh, male and, and female breakdowns. And I think the, the big thing, like I remember Tracy, my manager at HomeAway, you know, she told me one day I was hiring like inside sales rep and they were very similar to me. And she's like, no offense, but we don't want a, a bunch of menus running around. Like, yeah, there'll be rock stars in performance, but like you guys will have the same point of view on every little detail. And you need to like push yourself to, to really hire people that are really different and that you know, add different qualities. And so what's different for you? Like what, what can you, can you pinpoint like, Oh, I know I think this way. So I need to move away from that. Like, how do you look at that? Yeah. That, you know, a good thing, like a lens that helps me sort of view things through is that insights profile. Have you guys done that? There's all kinds of them, but yes, I yeah, know. of course. Right. Um, but for me, it's like, okay, there's people who are, um, maybe more dominant a certain way and people who are more thoughtful in a certain way, people who are more community oriented in a certain way, um, people who are more outgoing in a certain way. And so I try to think through those boxes as like, okay, I know what mine are and I know the rank of those. Like how can I pick people that rank differently there? Um, that's how I think about it. I also do, you know, from a, uh, a visual standpoint, try to consciously say, if I want to see a blend of leaders from different ethnicities and genders in the room, like I need to be conscious about trying to have equal amounts on my team. And 
Um, you know, I'm not going to make a decision on picking someone who's not a good fit for the role. But the truth is, is there's plenty of people that are great fits for the role from all backgrounds. So it just means you got to look harder. And the number one thing you can do is try to create that from an, an IC perspective on your team and nurture, you know, all of these folks to, to develop and to, to leaders one day. And it kind of takes care of the problem. But I don't think people are thoughtful enough. That's what I think the biggest issue is, is, is it's easier. It's so much easier to just say, Hey, let me, you know, I hang out with this kind of group of people. Let me just pluck somebody from there and make an easy decision. You got to push yourself to, to, you know, go outside of the box and find people from different backgrounds. How do you, have you ever experienced that? Have you ever experienced some level of, you know, Kevin uh, KD sort of calls it being the only and he, you know, he talked really eloquently about it. It was a, an amazing podcast that we've had here. I encourage folks to listen to. What's been your experience that you're, if you're open to sharing it around what that means for you and, and you know, how you sort of handled it and worked through it because it, it exists, right? Yeah. It, it exists in a big way. So yeah. I was just curious, you know, what you could share there. I've been in that situation many, many times. I feel like, you know, at one company, I was one of two female leaders in sales. Um, out, of out of maybe 20, 25, something like that. Um, and I, you know, and, and here's the deal is like, then people will broaden the, the view to, oh yeah, but in leaders overall in different departments, it's like, yeah, but these are the people you spend your time with every day. Right. And there's two of us and there's, you know, 23 of, of you from the same gender. And, um, I, I see more than anything, like the boys clubs at certain places will really, you know, start to, to be creative. And it's like, who are these people all hanging out with after hours and partying with after hours? And then you get into a place where you're like, okay, this is probably not an environment I want to be in. And luckily, like, my strategy has always been like, do the work and, you know, don't for myself, I just kind of put my head down and be myself and do the work and make sure that the things that I can control are, um, you know, embody all different types of people and, and have a, a split in, in gender, but it isn't a fun position to be in. And it does feel really isolating to be the only one. And Hey, who am I going to go talk to? the 23 people above me that, you know, are the opposite gender, like, no. And am I going to go to HR and complain? No. Like, but I do think, you know, all of us, especially people who are in the majority need to be really conscious of, of what that looks like and feels like to be the one. How could, how can Richard and I help you as we sort of sign off here? What, <clears throat> what kind of advice are you, are you seeking, if any, or is there anything top of mind for you in ways that we might be able to be helpful for, for Julie. Yeah. Well, that's really sweet to ask. Um, I think, you know, I, I'd be curious just to hear your thoughts on what, like there is an evolution in sales right now, whether we all want to admit it or not, there's some changes in the way that we've kind of done things in an antiquated way that, um, people are being more receptive to to thinking outside of the box on. And so I'd love to sort of understand your take on what new trends, like you just shared one with me earlier about, about who should uh, be incentivized on revenue uh, or renewals. But, you know, what other kind of trends do you guys see coming down the pike and um, what changes, you know, that are you open to exploring or, or push boundaries on? 
Richard, you take this first before I. I'll get take all my first crack. Um, box and become a revolutionary martyr. <laughs> uh, I think that um, the change. There are a couple things. So one, at, at the grassroots level, at the ground level, the role is much more technically evolved, right? You've got to be able, and I don't care if you're talking about BDR, AE. You got to be able to work the computer and work the system, um, and and follow the process in a way that's trackable. Um, I see that there's definitely um, an age discrepancy there. Um, in some ways, I think people are going to age out of sales because they don't want to learn the skill that's required. I think that um, part of that, though, also has to come back to the company. The company has to recognize that this is part of the process because they want this, which means that if you're asking the reps to put data in, you better give them quality data and reports and teach them how to use them so that they're not just sort of data tracking for the sake of tracking revenue. Like that's not the intent of an AE using a CRM. But you know, you're gonna have to know how to use more tools and navigate more, that's the first one. I think um, everybody's gonna become an influencer. Um, we're starting to see more and more of that. I think people are commenting more and, and writing more on LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, those places. Um, so I think that from the company perspective, they needed to wake the fuck up and realize that you don't own my social media, no matter what your policy says, um, and figure out a way to encourage that because there's a massive groundswell coming and it's already disrupted the current thought processes in marketing and it's absolutely going to tilt sales on its head. And if you can't figure out how to adopt this, you're not going to be able to hire the right talent in sales, right? I don't care how good you are. There's always somebody who can give your, your employees something better to look at, whether it's better benefits, better presence to work from home, whether it's, you know, all these different things that the Gen Z and the millennials within the next five or 10 years are literally going to be there. They're, they're the ones who you are hiring and you better get on board. You don't have a choice anymore. It's not old school where it's like STFU, go back and do what I told you. No, they don't have to anymore because the companies that are evolving are saying, no, come on, we want you to do those things. Yeah, we want you to share socially. We want you to go out and learn and educate. You know, Don't disparage us, but you can certainly ask professionally for help and maybe we can all learn from it. So. But that's the big stuff that I'm seeing at the moment, but I'll, I'll stop and let Scott jump on. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with what Richard is, is saying. I certainly think that, um, I think, I think that everybody is realizing now that they have a voice and regardless of who you are or what you do, people are starting to be empowered to speak up. And, and just in general, I think as, as a society, I think everybody's getting tired of taking everybody else's shit and, and, and dealing with it. And I think that there's a bit of a, a revolution coming, to be honest with you. I don't think that anybody's gonna be willing to work for a shitty company, a shitty product, a shitty boss uh, anymore. I think there's too many new opportunities that are out there and people will just be like, screw that. You don't recognize me, I'm out of here. I don't have to deal with this. Um, and, and I, I think that it's going to put a lot of companies in a lot of painful positions sometimes uh, soon because people don't have to take it anymore. Yep. Um, I certainly think that everybody is becoming a brand. And, and I think that your brand online is going to be equally, if not more important than your resume. 
Um, there are people whose brand online far exceeds their work history right now. And I know that some of these people are getting jobs because of that. And it's a, it's a little scary. Like, you know, you're batting above your average because your brand looks like you're a superstar, but you really haven't done too much yet. Um, so that will be interesting, I think, to see. Uh, I think that flex work will absolutely be the norm and be mandatory, not some kind of perk. And I think at some point here, everybody is going to have no choice but to allow sales VPs and managers and reps to work from home. Uh, every other department is, is able to work from home. Everybody else is trusted to get their, their job done, uh, but sales is not. We're still looked at as the deadbeats and degenerates who can't be trusted, uh, you know, unless we're monitored like, like kindergartners. Um, and I just don't think that that's going to last uh, too much longer. Um, and those are, those are some, some, some trends I think that we're right on the, the precipice of if we're not already there. Yeah, starting to see more people realize that. How much do you let your BDRs or SDRs work from home yet? They they can, um, you know, to be super transparent, it's encouraged that they come in and, you know, that we do it together. I think more for like call blitzes and group activities to get momentum around them. Um, but if they need to work from home, they let us know and they work from home. I would, I would love, I want to challenge you to do something. Yeah. I want, you to, I want to challenge you to run a call blitz at the right time, just like you would in the office, but let everybody be at home. Yeah. I think like that would be like, I don't think it's going to hurt you. I think, you know, I'd, I'd be curious to see if you could do that and see what that experiment is like, because I think it'd be fun. And I think it would help break down this wall, right. That Scott's talking about. And, and maybe a first step is try to let everybody work from home on the same day so that then you could do a call blitz that day, but then they, you know, for an hour, and then they have the freedom to do a work from home day and do the other things they need to do. Right. Which is super helpful. Yeah. Uh, so Never I forget a, a time at home away when all, like the internet went down in this whole business and everybody had to oh, go yeah. dial into their VPN and we still did those activities. And I mean, we hoorahed and rallied around it and you know, the team crushed it. Like they were all online supporting each other. So I know it's, it's certainly possible. And you know, I, I do think it's good to sort of question that. I think it'd be fun, run a contest with it, send them to surf and sales if they win. Right. Like that's, you know, like, waiting for the plug in there, but I'm glad you didn't miss the opportunity. Thanks for spending some time today with us, Julie. It was a really good conversation and uh, wish you all the best. And we'll see you around town here in Austin soon. Yeah, likewise. Thank you guys so much. Talk to you later, Julie. Thank you. All right. Bye.